in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And again, it starts in verse 1 with therefore seeing. And again, we've said this before. When it says therefore seeing, what, you, what we need to do, all of us, is to go back to the third chapter. Wherefore seeing. Because what we see there and what was being taught was the, the, the image of God was being affected by a veil that was on the hearts of people. And that's still... That's still a reality, even a much uh, a greater and deeper reality for us in Christ, just like it was in Moses' time. It's not that the law so much was the veil that was over them as much as their heart had been hardened and it was a veil. So there was a veil and we, we, we see it. We see in 2 Corinthians 3. Again, we, we should go there and, and look what it says. And, and, and we can see uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Remember what we said, there's two key words when we read the Bible, even our English Bibles, two key words that will help us have a greater understanding and an experience of the truth of a proper image. And those two words are in and of. That's the key word in the book of Ephesians, in. We are in Christ because he's in us. We are of him because we're in him. And so here we see here, again, not that we are sufficient of, in other words, anything that's constituted of the self-life has anything to do with who we are in Christ in our proper image. And so we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Because when we think outside of Christ, outside of our proper image, is there anything that makes any sense in that whatsoever? You know, God's sense to us is Christ himself. And, and thank God that we have that treasure. We'll see that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have it. But we have it in these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be, listen to what it says, of God, not of ourselves in terms of being separated from him. So not that we are sufficient in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 to think anything of as of ourselves, but separation, contrast, our sufficiency is, look what it says, of God. In other words, every single thing about us, every single thing about our image in Christ is of God. It's constituted of God. Everything. So everything that makes up our constitution, or in other words, our image, is of God, has nothing to do with ourselves. That's why we said, we shared it in Texas, and, and again, just because we declare a certain truth doesn't mean that we experience it. I may be able to declare it, but not yet because it hasn't been worked into my experience, do I actually function in the reality of my true image? But this is why in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, we grow in grace. We have to grow in grace. Then knowledge. Then it's proper experience. Now, verse uh, 6 of 2 Corinthians 3, who also has made us. Notice what it says there. Who made us? Are we made of ourselves? Is there anything about the self-life? No. Who also made us able ministers of the new covenant. 
the New Testament. Listen, not of the letter, the flesh's interpretation using the law, using natural reasoning and understanding to interpret the word, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit, what, what does the spirit do? The spirit imparts life. That's what it does. And we need to know the difference here. Again, this has to do with our image. Everything about our image, apart from ourselves, when we immediately receive Christ, was imputed to us. The word impute in the Greek is legizomai. It means that the moment that I receive the fact that Christ died for me and as me, and paid for my sins, the moment that happened, that I believed that all of my sins were imputed or put to Christ's account on the cross, the moment I received him, then all his perfect righteousness was put to my account. Now that's positional truth. How do I experience it? It's through the impartation it's, we need to have imparted to our experience the reality of what's been put to our account in our position through imputation. That happens once. You see that in John, the 13th chapter, when Peter was saying, wash me all over. No, I need to wash your feet. That goes into position is solid. You don't need your whole body washed. That happens once when we receive Christ. Now to have that experience, that proper image flowing in a grace experience, what do we need? We need to have our feet cleansed. That's our opportunity every single time we come to hear the word. It's all of our experience, all of our opportunity. Verse 7, but if the ministration in 2 Corinthians 3, the ministration of death, what was the law? What's the law? It's a ministration of what? death. Why? Because the law is not holy, just, and good in Romans 7, 12? No. Because the flesh's self-righteousness trying to eke out a righteousness apart from Christ is what is what works in what? Death. God gave the law to the Jews to work in death in them to show them there's no life in it but only in Christ. He does the same for us. No fleshly interpretation of the word. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, of course it was, because it was given by God, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. Now you're in the two chapters in Exodus 18 and verse 19 to understand what Paul, through the Spirit, is speaking here. How will not, and, and, and they could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. Why? Well, for which glory was to be done away? Was the law done away? Was it not fulfilled? Of course it was fulfilled. Christ fulfilled the law and gave us something far, far above that. <laughs> he gave us himself. So Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe to them that receive him, because in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he crossed every T, dotted every I of the law, and fulfilled it. And he himself is even far above that. Far above that. So far that no one else but him could bridge that gap. And he has. Now, how will not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory... Right? The law was glorious and pure and right in itself, 
But to those that would try to use the law to eke out a righteousness of their own, okay, what was it? What did it amount to? It just amounted to administration of condemnation because the law was given, okay? Because remember, we've said before, and so many Christians today try to eke out their own image, their own righteousness apart from Christ. They, they feel like, you've ever hear, you know, Christ died for me. He did all that. The least I can do is do this for him. Well, what can we do without him in John 15, verse 5? Nothing, right? If I don't have love in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, what do I have? I don't have anything. See, everything is of grace. Every single thing for every single one of us. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now, they had a veil. You read the rest of the chapter. The Jews had a veil over them. Their their hearts, their sight, their heart was hardened. And in that sense, they were blind. They became blind. And so this is what it's all leading up to. You see verse 14 of of 2 Corinthians 3? But their minds were blinded. Again, their minds were hardened. And they weren't able to see properly. For Listen to what it says. For until this day, the same veil taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away. In other words, you look at the whole Jews apart from, or any believer, but especially the Jews apart from Christ. What are they still? Is the veil still over them? Are they still waiting for the Messiah to do something? Are Christians, now that we are in Christ, with him completing everything, are we waiting for him to do something? Or do we believe that he's waiting on us to do something? Or do we know that he's actually finished it? That my image is absolutely perfect and complete in him, not based upon myself or my own thoughts, or self-interpretation, or privately interpreting, in 2 Peter 1, 19-21, privately interpreting the Scriptures. What does it mean? Privately interpret the Scriptures. Not allowing the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and show them unto us. And that, time, and that involves being corrected, being, being exhorted. So thank God for that. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil untaken, untaken away in the reading of the Old Covenant. Which veil is done away where? In Christ. Where are we? Not only is the veil taken away, but how much more do we have in terms of our image? You know, sometimes we, uh, we, we are left, if we don't understand these things, these truths, and again, we're all growing in these together. All of us together are growing in these things. But we think our image is only based upon what we were saved from. It's very, that's limited. Fact of the matter is, we were not only saved from all these things and kept from things we don't even have a clue about, but he does because he dealt with them on Calvary. Meaning he knows every road we would have taken hadn't he intervened and knows the end from the beginning on each and every single one of those roads if he hadn't interrupted us. That again, in our image, Part of our image and learning it experientially is his anticipative love and his prevenient grace. Anticipative love. He anticipates things where we're, where we're headed that could be very disastrous and he gives a thorn. Okay? And then it's his prevenient grace. What is prevenient grace? His, he is acting through grace by his anticipative love. Doesn't have a thing to do with our will. 
It has to do with his love for us. Oh, what a great thing it is when they finally meet, right? When my will submitted to his. Then the flow and the reality of a proper image in Christ becomes my absolute experience. It's just not something I can declare about my position. It's something I actually experience. But unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. You know how many Christians? That's why, that's why we teach against covenant theology. That's going back to the old and bringing it into the position that we have in Christ when he already ended the law. But bring it in. Now we have to do something, which is the subtlety of the enemy to try and get the flesh to have some form of glory, some form of glory, but only to be in, in a very subtle way with the satanic wiles in Ephesians 6, 11, to be held in a place of bondage. You get held in a place of bondage experientially. What are you going to experience? You're going to experience condemnation and guilt. But I don't know, was that done away with by Christ in Romans 8, 1? It is. Can I see clearly up in my experience a proper image when guilt is there? No, but it is who I am in, in, in my actual position in Christ. It's his view of me. But can I have fellowship and an exchange of that life that he gave me if that's in the way, if something hinders it? And thank God we have the preaching and teaching of the word for this to happen. Okay, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. Liberty. Freedom. But we all, notice that? We all with unveiled face, in some translations you'll see open face, I don't know, you know, how do we interpret that, you know? Well, unveiled face, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, the very word of God by faith, the glory of the Lord, listen, are changed into, listen, the same image. The same image. The same image. Christ is my image, period, and I don't live in a false imagination, and thank God, even in spiritual warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our warfare, well, our warfare doesn't have anything to do with us trying to figure things out. No. No, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. I can't figure, strongholds, can't figure it out. I don't know what's happening. Strongholds. That's because the enemy is at an area in our lives we are ignorant of for years. And it affects things in our life. fact of the matter is, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have anything to do with flesh and blood. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What? Casting down what? False images, imaginations, reasonings. Using the lies of the enemy and reasoning and forming some form of what I think I am in my own image and then seeing through that how I think God sees me. No. No, this is what it's saying here. But we all with an unfailed face and beholding, and we need to, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. Listen, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of what? Ourselves? See the word of there again? Of who? The Lord. Of the Lord. Now, now you have therefore seeing in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore seeing. What inhibits? What is used by the enemy to glo 
gloss over the reality of our true image. What is it? It's lies. Can we see if there's a veil there? You know, the veil, the veil remember when Jesus was crucified and the work was finished, he said in John 19, 30, you read in Matthew 27, verse 51, that veil, which was between the holy of holies and the holy place, the, the inner court, which is the holy of holies and the outer court, that veil was at least six inches thick of heavy, heavy material. And it was torn, guess where? From the top down. And that was, that was a type of Christ in his body in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, of his body, him himself, opening up the way for a true image for those that would receive him. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, do we all have this ministry? Do we go to a ministry or do we have it? We have this ministry as what? We have received what? You know, the thing about Christ is this. Listen, mercy, remember that. Remember this. We all need to remember. Mercy, Elios, E-L-E-O-S. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve to get. Yeah, I can't even imagine where I would be if that wasn't the case in my life. Because I'm weak, I'm frail, I fail, I sin, by the grace of God, I can confess it. Yes. But mercy, Elios, is God not giving us, putting to our account, what we deserve to get. And that's why in Psalm 85, verse 10, mercy and truth had to meet together. And righteousness had to peace, uh, had to kiss. And that was the picture of Christ on Calvary, where they could only meet. And he gives me, and he, he prepares me with mercy. <laughs> oh, not giving me what I deserve to get. So he can continually add to me a proper image, grace, what I don't deserve to get. And these things are key, and we need to understand them. So therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, what? We faint, what? We faint not. Where do we faint? In the strength that we have that Christ is or in our, what we think our own is? You know what God's doing every day by our circumstances and situations? It's in Psalm 102, verse 23. He's weakening what we think our strength is. And thank God he's shortening our days in that particular way. That's not Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, verse 6. So here we have, we faint not. Another reason we faint is, have we renounced the hidden things of shame? Because that's what dishonesty leads to, it's shame. Have we actually renounced them? No? Well, do we see properly? Do we experience mercy? Are we experiencing grace? Am I experiencing a true identity, my true image in Christ? Can I think two things are right and not be confused? In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. But we, but separated, have renounced the hidden things of shame, dishonesty. Listen, not walking in craftiness. In other words, still in the flesh, but to getting up and declaring the word of God. Now, is that handling the word of God deceitfully? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Boy, I tell you one thing. If that isn't convicting to me, I don't know what is. Deceitfully. And you know what deceit is, where it comes from, 
Revelation 12, 9, he deceives the whole world. Can a Christian function like that? Oh, dear Lord Jesus. Oh, God. He deceived. What's the nature of deception? I think I know, but in reality, do I? No. What keeps me deceived? A lie. And then what does that lead to? As, we've, as, we, as the Word of God has taught us properly over the years, deceit leads to denial. If I'm deceived, I think I know something and I don't, then do I need to hear the Word? Some believers, the Christians, think they, they know enough. <laughs> when we're going to grow for all eternity. How about time? Is time being used by God with our proper image to function all throughout eternity? Without any question about it. That's why time is such an awesome opportunity. As shortened as it is in 1 Corinthians 7.29, we need to go into the slave market of sin where we are and buy back through mercy and grace and a proper image all those things that the opportunity of time has given us, not only to redeem, first and foremost, to redeem, buy back in ourselves. You know, God, what does he has to do? What does God have to do, Christ have to do by the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word? Constantly what? Bring us back to the reality that we are already bought. That the, that the responsibility and accountability of our image has to do with Christ and him alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And that's why we come to hear and to receive these things. But have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God, how? Deceitfully. Oh, I can declare it. <laughs> but my experience, my actual conduct denies it vividly. And that doesn't give a, a, some form of a testimony. <laughs> People are witnessing that, you know. People witness far more our behavior than what we say. Just like, just like teaching your children. You know, you teach your children, you can teach your children what to do and what not to do. You can. But your behavior, the parent's conduct and their behavior teaches them far more. Far, far more than what we, that I or any parent or any, anybody says. Okay, so. But by manifestation of the truth, where does that start? In, a, in an intimate experience with a proper image. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, they're going to see it. And based upon my behavior as a Christian, some things are okay. But does that keep them in a defiled conscience? God Almighty. Right? But everything we do is where? Everything that I do is what? In the sight of God. My, what is my conduct? What are my words? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, where does good come from? God alone. To the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister what? Grace to who? The hearers. And, and then, obviously, if I don't do that individually, separately, by myself, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit's grieved when he can't take the things that are the Christians and make them real in their experience and they can have a proper image. It grieves him. And there's discipline. Did you know there's loving chastisement? But is there any fellowship in that? No. No. It's, it's meant 
in love. That's why we call it loving chastisement and comfort, to bring us back into a place where we do receive again. Because God resists the proud in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace, a greater understanding of grace, to those that his plan has humbled. Then they submit themselves to God. Then in, with Christ in between them and Satan, he, Christ in them, and their proper image resists the devil. Resist the lie about a false image. Then we can continue to draw near to God and he to us. And as we draw near, he, he is able to what? Cleanse our hands and to pure, uh, purify our hearts from being what? Double-minded. What is double-mindedness? The result of confusion. What's confusion based on? A lie thinking two things are okay. It's okay to be in the flesh in this area and still be in Christ, is it? Oh boy, very convicting. Verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Everything that God is revealing to us today as those that are born again in Christ, and to be born again means you're in Christ. And the fact is, can it, if you're not taught these things properly, can you be lost in your experience? Yes. Yeah, you'll never be lost in your position. No. But what about the experience? What about the experience? In whom, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, this world system, <laughs> this world system, the world has infiltrated the believer and affected their image and said, this is what you've got to do and have this false image. This false image of what success is. Oh, boy. In whom the God of this world, the religious God of this world, has blinded, hardened the minds of them which believe not. They refuse. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, listen to this, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And that's the reason we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. This takes time. Growth takes time. does. You know when we grow the most? Is it the sunny day or the storms? The storms. That's right. We like the sunny days. I like them too. I like the snow too, by the way. Seriously. And I, and, and I love being in the proper place where, where Christ has placed me. But the fact of the matter is we, we, there's more growth in storms because they do more to prepare us to receive so we can even function properly in the sunny days as well as the storms. Where we fail most is in the sunny days. That's right. That's where we fail the most. We fail what? We, be, we become low and lower in our image. And listen, by doing so, the enemy, what he's doing is lowering Christ. So is it a lie? Can he actually do that? No. But can he do it in our experience? See? Okay, so we preach not ourselves. So the growth and learning of Christ, the whole lie, I remember writing this down, I shared it in Texas, I want to do it again here because God wants to reinforce these truths in us. <laughs> you know, I wrote it down again, wrote it right here in my little old notebook, you know, the whole, our whole conflict has to do with the image of God. Did you know that? The whole conflict, the whole angelic conflict before any human was born had to do with the image of God, a true image. 
What do you think our conflict is? Because now that we're in Christ, did you know that being in Christ as a people group, separate from all other people groups, by the way, and the Bible makes that clear distinction, regardless of what some would teach, okay, that they wouldn't teach those things, right? And thank God we can, by the pure grace of God, <laughs> and him humbling us and getting us to a place to receive, our whole conflict has to do, because the fact that we're in Christ, listen, is he Christ through what he did above everything and everybody? Is he? Okay. Is our position in him? Yes. Then the conflict will be equal to the position that we have in him. That's right. So if you're wondering why you have all these conflicts, these sufferings, because those sufferings are leading us to a glory that we can't, and we just can't even imagine. We, we can't even imagine the reality of that. So what do we do? What, what do we need when we come to here? What is God doing? And this is what he's doing. And we'll begin to wrap this up. But I think through these next few weeks here, as well as preparing this booklet on image that I've been wanting, <laughs> that God's put on my heart, uh, for, for the longest time uh, to be able to, to write these things. We want to we preach and teach them because we do need them now to even prepare us so that we can have the word of God, the word of God and him alone. Remember, <laughs> I'm a little paper boy. That's what I am. I'm a paper boy. I mean it too. Uh, all I'm doing by his pure, unadulterated grace is having the privilege to be able to deliver the news. <laughs> but I am not the author. And furthermore, it's not left up to me to even edit it. <laughs> he is. And him alone. And him alone. But the fact of the matter is, we can see this. This is what God is teaching us. And we're going to wrap this up for this portion uh, this morning. And I'm going to read from uh, Philippians. I'm just going to read two verses. Philippians 2, verse 12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Did you hear that one? There's, oh, God, that word again. Uh-oh, there's that word, obedience. I don't know. <laughs> Wherefore, my beloved, who, who, is, who, who is God requiring to obey? Those that he loves. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only. What are we like when we're all alone? When we're not subject or around other believers? You know what's going to come out? Who are really involved on the inside. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. When we approach the word of God, is there an unbelievable reverence and a trembling? Are we so familiar with hearing certain things? And just because we're satisfied with declaring them, the enemy makes us satisfied with just being able to declare them, live like the world and miss the whole truth and the experience and reality of a proper image in Christ. Totally different than the world. There's nothing about us in Christ that has a single thing to do with the world. Not a single thing. So 
We're to work out your own salvation. Can I work out your own salvation? Salvation is not just the, the moment you receive Christ. It's your whole Christian life. Can I do that? Can I work out your own salvation? Can you work out mine? Can we work out each other's? Or can we, through humility and through receiving the truth, have imparted to us through the preaching and teaching of the word what has been imputed to us in our position? Can, is that available? Yes. Your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. Why? For it is God which works in you both to what? To will. I mean, I can function in my will apart from, from God and experience freedom, peace, proper image, reality. No. For it is God which works in you both to will. Then when my will is submitted, the flow of the, life, the Christ life and to do of his good pleasure. Who's doing the doing? Well, the only one that worked it out. God. And then we see this in Philippians 3, and we're almost, we're almost done. Almost. <laughs> I don't know how many times I close it. Anyway, Philippians 3, verse 13. Here's the Apostle Paul. This is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. He's speaking this to Paul first, and then through him speaking to us. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you, I don't know everything at all times like I ought to, but I'm learning and growing just like the rest. 1 Corinthians 8, 2. Not, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puff, puffs up when it's separated from a humility of receiving by grace the love and intimacy of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 1. But 2, and if I think I know anything as I ought to, do I? I don't. But if any man knows God and is loved of him, boy, that's a proper experience and a proper image. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. So he says here, my, I don't count myself to have appreh apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now listen, sometimes we think that's negative. No, he's saying even the positive truths. This is the tense. It's the positive truths. Because I'm going on and growing in them. God, God is not just satisfied. He is with adding Christ to me. But now, through growth, he's going to multiply that. So here it is, and this is what he's saying here as we wrap this up. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. Am I going to reach forth for something if I don't need it? Yeah. Nope. I'm not going to do it. No, it takes my will submitted reaching forward constantly. And not depending on my will apart from him. It's a constant reaching for, growing forever and ever. That light of the path, and, and Proverbs 4.18, it's getting brighter and brighter. That's our image. It's getting brighter and brighter. My God, oh my God, really? That's you, Christ? You gave yourself to me and this truth, and you put me in you? Oh my God. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before us. I press. There's labor involved. Not self-righteous labor. Okay? It's a constant judging of the self-life. Not judging who we are in Christ. Not judging that we are that. But judging it in our own personal walk. This is wrong. Needs to be dealt with God. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And what is it? To be in Christ Jesus. 
to be in him experientially. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, in other words, complete and taught to a certain extent, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, when you're in that place functioning in Christ, guess what? God will even reveal this unto you. He will. And I'm going to close with these words. You see the word apprehended here? I apprehend, I don't count myself to have had apprehended. Apprehended there in the Greek is katalambeno. Okay, that's what that Greek word is. It's K-A-T-A, uh, lambeno, it's L-A-M-B-A-N-O. Katalambeno. And this is what it means to take eagerly. But if I don't, if it's not there for me to see and take, can I take it? The things about who I am in Christ, the proper image. To, to take eagerly, to seize it, to possess it, to possess as one's own. God wants to bring us all individually into a place where we possess him individually in our own image. I don't need constantly someone else's approval. I just don't. Yes, to have fellowship, yes. But I'm accepted in Christ in Ephesians 1, 6. I am possessed by him that possesses me. To possess one's own, to appropriate. If I don't possess it experientially, can I appropriate it? No. To seize upon and take possession as one's own with a beneficial effect. What's the beneficial effect? It's grace. And grace is always in the passive voice. We don't do, we receive. We don't do to live, we live and receive what's done. Huge difference, huge difference, right? Because we have what? The first cause is love. Then we have all those other effects in a proper image in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14 takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. So again, as we wrap it up, it is the righteousness which is of faith, not attained but only of appropriation. The prize is Christ on a continual basis. The prize is an awesome, gorgeous, beautiful, glorious image about who we truly are in him. And that's what it means to apprehend. He apprehends us and keeps out all the thoughts, the lies, the imaginations, and the projections. You know the enemy, he, you know what he constantly does? That's why it says in Ephesians 6, 16, take up the shield of faith, whereby you're able to quench all those fiery missiles, those fiery missiles, the lies of hell that tells you you're less than something that Christ has already made you to be in your, in your incredible image. You're able to quench them. And that's another one we want to get into in spiritual war and what all the, that armor means literally. In, in the type. But again, what is, what is Satan always projects? He, uh, he projects imaginations against what? Faith. Absolute dependence upon God for what our true image is. And he does it for this other reason. He doesn't want us to apprehend the truth. He wants us to be alienated. You're going to see that word, alienated. It's apalotriuo. Okay, and I'll spell that for you later. It's A-P-A-L-L-O-T 
R I O O. Okay, there's two O's in that because there are in the Greek alphabet. It's Apollotrio. That's what it is. That's the language that God the Holy Spirit took. He took the Greek. And the reason that he did wrote the, the Bible in the Greek was so that everybody that did business in the old days, when they spoke different languages and they came together for business, they all had to learn that so that they could converse with people of other nationalities and languages. There's only one. It's Koine Greek. It's not classical Greek. It's not Attic Greek. It is this Koine Greek language. And it means, alienated here means to estrange away. To get you away. What's that mean, to estrange? It got something like the word strange in there? Estranged away from what? A proper image. I, when I don't have a proper image of who I am in Christ, do I have a proper image of Christ himself? No. To estrange away. Listen to this. For believers, through the teaching and preaching of the word, Right where God called us. Listen, to be a non-participant. The enemy wants us to be a non-participant. And in a thousand ways, he's going to try and get us away from that. With a feeling. What does feeling have to do with the word of God? My feelings are up one minute, down the next. Emotions. We walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Not by sight, which is feelings. Don't allow those to direct you. God will never direct you by your feelings. Even good ones. Should I, because I get good feeling, good emotions, because I receive truth today. Why does it say forgetting it behind? So that we don't make even the good emotions to be the thing that directs us, because in a second they can fall. Okay? To be alienated. Now, write in the dictionary. So I can't, I can't claim this as my own. By the way, everything <laughs> that God threw me as preaching and teaching, okay, it doesn't have its origin in me. Not one thing. I didn't invent it. <laughs> it's all Christ. It's all Christ. Every single bit of it. Here's the dictionary. To withdraw, listen, as to the affections. Something else gets my attention and draws my affections away from Christ to an object to a person, to some material thing, to a strange way, to withdraw us to the affections. Listen to what it says. To make indifferent where love or friendship before subsisted. God, I was hungry for the things of God. Then, oh, wow, something got in the way. That's why we said, and we said it yesterday, say it again in Jeremiah 5, 5, Proverbs 13, 20. Be careful who you hang with and be careful for the reasons why you desire to be with someone. If it isn't Christ, cut it. I'm just telling you straight out. Get with the men that are of God. Are they better than anyone else? None of us are better than the most wicked person in the world. We're not. But we're better off in Christ. And you're better off in those whose conduct reveals a proper image in Christ. Okay. So, so in doing so, if the enemy, as we close, can cause us to withdraw our affections from Christ, what's that mean? 
Well, look at the whole problem in church history. What, what did it start out with in Ephesus? In, in Revelations 2, 4, what did they leave? They left their first love. Something else came in. Mm-hmm. I don't know, a job, money, wanting to be popular, functioning in the world, any of these things, right? And, and he does all of this to make us indifferent where there was love or a deep friendship. Why? Because he wants to apply us, to use us, for him to apply us to a wrong use. That's right. And if I don't have a proper image, boy, am I in trouble, experientially. I am. Instead of being renewed. And that's what we can get into the next time when we teach on image, how we constantly need to be renewed. Constantly. Constantly. I don't know John 3.16, apart from the Holy Spirit, in true reality, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. Perish, that means destroyed. Okay? Can people be destroyed in hell and still be living? They are. Again, does away with annihilationist false teaching. Just as much as everybody else gets out of, at some point, everyone gets out of hell. Universalism. Both lies. Both have nothing to do with a proper image. But thank God we can be renewed. And we need to constantly be renewed. And let me just make it clear. Listen, if this is the place where God's given you this, why on God's green earth would he ever leave you to leave? Instead of allowing others, and because of your emotions and feelings, to lead you, to make you a follower, why don't you become a leader, okay? Instead of going to where someone else is, where they might not probably don't belong, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It just doesn't. You know, you're being fed, right? Continue, continue. Because it's about God, isn't it? It's about our own individuality. It's about a proper image. And God so loves us in our proper image that his love for us being renewed in, 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 in 1 John 4.18 continually casts out fear. Because fear is based upon a lie. The lie is based upon a false image. Okay? And listen, everything about this life, you know, it's not preparing us to live here. Did you know that? That's why we're called the heavenly people. Did you know that? The Jews are his earthly people. We're his heavenly people. That's right. Everything about us is heavenly. Everything. Every choice, every thought, every word, every step, every deed is supposed to be heavenly because that's our image, far above the things of this earth. Amen? Boy, does he love us this morning. So, Father, thank you for the truth. For the word, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.